This show includes strong language and may sometimes feature discussions of difficult or triggering topics. Please check the show notes for content warnings. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Movie Catch-Up, a podcast where two friends work on reducing their movie backlog. Each episode, we serve up a double feature discussion of movies we've selected for each other to catch up on. I'm Leanne. And I'm Greg. We're the poo, so take a big whiff. Today, we're talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Bring It On. But before we get into the movies, we have a guest this episode. It's our first guest. Welcome to the podcast, Mickey. Hi. So we decided to bring our friend Mickey on as our first guest because she's basically not seen any good movies, or at least what I would consider good movies, (laughs) in her entire life. So I've made it my personal mission to fix that. So this would be a great chance to get her to watch a couple movies off my list for her. Uh, So before we start, I guess, Mickey, why don't you just tell us a bit about your relationship to movies uh, and just kind of the things you've seen, things you like, etc.? Well, obviously not the same movies you like, Greg, but um, <laughs> uh, I've watched a lot of movies, just um, more like the comic book movies, Star Wars, all of those good, like, 80s action movies. That's kind of more what I'm into, so a little bit different from what we're watching today. I guess some of those are okay. <laughs> that's your opinion, and it's wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> What is so dangerous about a character like Ferris Bueller is he gives good kids bad ideas. Uh-huh. Last thing I need at this point in my career is 1,500 Ferris Bueller disciples running around these halls. He jeopardizes my ability to effectively govern this student body. Well, makes you look like an ass is what he does, Ed. Thank you, Grace. I think you're wrong. Oh, well, he's very popular, Ed. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. Okay, so our first movie is uh, the iconic 1986 film Ferris Bueller's Day Off. stars Matthew Broderick, Alan Ruck, Jennifer Grey, Mia Sarah, Ben Stein, and Jeffrey Jones. And is directed by John Hughes, who has directed... 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Uncle Buck, and who is kind of known for being the iconic coming-of-age 80s movies director. Uh, The movie was also written by John Hughes, who has written a ton of movies that were actually very influential on me as a kid, and I didn't realize that he had done either the writer or screenwriter for so many movies, but... Uh, A short sampling of his writing credits includes 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Pretty in Pink, Some Kind of Wonderful, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Dennis the Menace, Miracle on 34th Street, uh, that's the one with Mara Wilson, and the live-action 101 Dalmatians, Flubber, and Home Alone 3. Wow, I did not know much of those. Yeah, I was really shocked when I was looking at the writing credits that he was so involved in, like, a lot of things that um, I watched a lot when I was a kid. I was obsessed with Flubber. The Great Outdoors is, like, an iconic John Candy movie. Well, put that on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I didn't realize that he was involved at all with any of the National Lampoon movies. So it was just very interesting looking at, you know, all of his writing credits and seeing sort of, like, how influential he really has been. 
Uh, the tagline for Ferris Bueller is one man's struggle to take it easy. And it has a tomato meter score of 80% for critic and 92% audience. Yeah, a lot of people like that movie. Yeah, it's very, very iconic and for pretty obvious reason, I think. The premise of this movie is Ferris Bueller is a smooth-talking slacker who just wants a day off to hang out with his friends. But it just so happens that this particular day is the boiling point for people who are fed up with his antics, including high school principal Ed Rooney and Ferris's younger sister Jeannie, both of whom are dead set on Ferris getting caught. So I chose this movie for you, Mickey, to watch, um, partly because it is truly an iconic movie. It's something that is referenced in so many other movies since. And because John Hughes is, of course, as previously mentioned, like a very influential director. I first saw Ferris Bueller when I was in high school. I think it was during the summer. There was a, a station on TV that would play like 80s movies all the time during the summer. There's like another movie about like summer school that I watched around the same time. I think I probably watched it a few times that summer because they aired it a lot. And it's just like a very chill, fun movie to watch. You know, it doesn't have like a lot of mental investment required. So what did you know about Ferris Bueller as a movie before you watched it? Um, Quite a bit, actually. Because, I mean, it's hard to not know about that movie just being on the internet. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I knew, like, the general plot uh, going into it, but I hadn't actually seen the movie, so... It was, it was it was good. I liked it. It was nice. Good. So the main cast of characters for this movie is Ferris Bueller, who's played by Matthew Broderick, his best friend Cameron Fry, who's played by Alan Ruck, uh, his girlfriend Sloane Peterson, who's played by Mia Sarah, his sister Jeannie, played by Jennifer Grey, the principal Ed Rooney, played by Jeffrey Jones, and his economics teacher, played by Ben Stein, in the iconic scene where oh, God, he's yeah. the call <laughs> and he's going <laughs> alphabetically it. and he goes, Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> Actually, um, at a previous job of mine, a customer was coming in and as I, I had to take names because it was like an indoor playground and her last name was Bueller. And like, as soon as she said it, I was like, I don't want to be that person. <laughs> because... <laughs> Like, That'd be a hard last name to grow up with. Yeah, it was like oh, yeah. definitely one of those names where I was like, I can immediately tell like that if you grew up with this last name that you probably faced a lot of this kind of stuff. But she was very quick to say, yeah, it's my husband's last name. So, <laughs> so what were some things that you liked about the movie? Hmm. I liked the humor. Honestly, it was my kind of humor. So all of them just kind of hit with me. Like the scene you were just mentioning, I found it hilarious. Because, I mean, everyone's had a teacher like that. So yeah. they know that, like, monotone never raises their voice. And it's just, I mean, I find it funny now that I'm not in school. I had a teacher just like that where it was a computer programming teacher. And he on the first day of class, he sat us all down basically and just said right off the bat, like, I have the most monotone voice you'll ever hear. We're in this class for, I think it was like a long class. We only did like once a week instead of two times or whatever. So it's twice as long. And he's like, most people are going to fall asleep. I've accepted that. Like, uh, <laughs> my voice is just <laughs> terrible to listen to. Uh, I'm not going to be offended if you fall asleep or if you just don't come to class. <laughs> he, was, he was so like nihilistic <laughs> on his outlook on life. He was so monotone. <laughs> I don't think I did fall asleep, but he remind, it reminds me a lot of this guy. Your teacher sounds like he's very self-aware compared to the teachers in this yeah. movie. 
Oh my Very god, yeah, they're all the same. I was really surprised the number of scenes where you're going from class to class when you've got Sloan in one of her classes and mm-hmm. the econ class that Ferris is supposed to be in and like half the class is laying on their desk drooling like dead-eyed <laughs> or asleep, and the teachers are just teaching like there's nothing unusual happening so they're either unaware that their teaching style is incredibly boring or they have kind of resigned themselves to not caring that economics yeah, that class the, the scene later where uh just anyone anyone and then he gives the answer he just <laughs> yeah. another sentence anyone anyone doesn't even wait gives the answer anyone anyone it's so good yeah. And that's the scene that's kind of become sort of memeified because, you know, people will say anyone, anyone, and they'll fill it in with Euler, which is not actually how it happens in the movie, but it's sort of the enmeshing of the two things, yeah. where it's calling role and then, you know, not really taking an opportunity to give anybody the chance to answer the question, not that they would. Also, some of the information that they were asking for, I was like, who would know that? <laughs> it definitely felt like a lot of the classroom felt like university to me more than anything. Just the way it was set up to you, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they just talk at you. Yeah, I think that's more just reflective of the way schools worked in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like, if I watched this in school, if I would have a different opinion as to now, where I've, like, been through it all. And I'm like, nah, this is funny yeah. now. I think these kinds of scenes were relatable when I was in high school watching it. I mean, I was the kind of kid who liked school anyway. <laughs> but I, like, you definitely have, yeah, parents, sorry to admit such an embarrassing <laughs> fact about myself. <laughs> but I definitely had teachers where, like, class was incredibly boring. I was just saying to Greg the other day, we were talking about um, some YouTube videos that he had sent me about lizards, because that's something we've been talking <laughs> yeah, that's about. that's what he's doing right now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the guy who's presenting oh, like, I he love him. Is a, he's a professor and I said, could you imagine actually having this guy as like your teacher, because he's like so upbeat and so enthusiastic about what he's talking about. That, he's you know, so passionate it would be a about lizards. Be, yeah, it would be an enjoyable class to sit in on, even if it's not a topic that you particularly are interested in. There was one scene that I really loved, and it was when they're in the principal's office and the principals become aware that Ferris is absent for the ninth time, which apparently is like just under the hard limit of the number of classes you can miss when you're in high school. Well, it's different now. <laughs> it seemed that seems low. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I, I missed definitely missed that many classes for sure. Yeah, I think they're on a semester system, so it might have been nine classes in a semester. I guess that's worse. No, and, I know in university, if you miss 13 classes, then you're like automatically with, or no, I think there's only 13 classes. There's like a certain number that you... only went to my first class and last class for one of my computer courses and got an A. I mean, it depends if they actually take roll call or not. Yeah. He basically said just like, it's the, I think it was the exact same professor as the the very monotone (laughs) one in a different class with him. Basically said like... Yeah, if you already know what you're doing, basically, I think it's like web design. And it's like, just come to the first class, come to the midterm, come to the last class. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, the scene that I'm referring to is the secretary, whose name is Grace. She's sitting at her desk and she's just like... Grace is is the best. Yeah, she's like pulling pencils out, like multiple pencils (laughs) out of her hair. And it's just... It's so bizarre because, of course, Principal Rooney is like in the background, like having a freak out, talking to Ferris's mom on the phone about his absences and also watching the absences being decreased while he's looking at the screen, a clear indication (laughs) of tampering of some kind. Oh, yeah. Grace was the highlight of this for me. Oh, for sure. One line killed me. 
uh, oh, he's pop, very popular, Ed. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wastoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. <laughs> oh, is, she's great. Yeah. For me, I, when I watched this when I was younger, it was 100% the Ferris storyline. I related to him and Sloane and Cameron and just this epic adventure they're having on their day off. And that was like what I gravitated towards watching it this time. All the stuff with Ed Rooney, the principal and Grace. Yeah, I, felt like, so I was sorry for him. <laughs> so into this subplot. It was so great. Like it was so well executed. The slapstick because slapstick is hard to execute in my opinion. Like it's yeah. easy to just throw in some slapstick for a quick laugh, but to like have a running long-term slapstick gag that was going with him and to constantly be able to elevate it slightly higher and higher and make it more and more over the top as the movie goes on. It was really well done. It was so funny. As much as I feel bad for Ed Rooney and, you know, some of the other people in this movie, I made a note that, like, people sometimes need to learn to just take the L. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, it got to a point where, you know, his efforts to prove that Ferris was just skipping school and wasn't actually sick were, like, so over the top that it was like, okay, maybe just, like, admit that you're not going to win this one and, like, go home because, you know, he's at the point where he's trying to literally break into Ferris's house and it's like I feel like we've hit a we've hit a limit here for appropriate behavior but I feel like it escalated slowly enough that I I like I felt that worked just because it's the way it started out and the way it like he keep uh Ferris kept one-upping him over and over and over again and he just got more and more desperate to the point where I felt like yeah this is something he's going to do at this point he's like he's ready to die on this hill this is his hill to die on <laughs> His smile really scared me, though. Ferris Bueller is his white whale. Yes. Oh, it's totally that. <laughs> it was such a good dynamic. And Ferris and him are never even really on screen together, which made it so much better, I thought. Like, the, the dynamic between them is constantly going this whole movie, but, like, Ferris isn't even there. It's just, like, yep. voice recordings of him and just, like, him on the phone, and it was great. Yeah, Mr. Rooney constantly thinking that... Ferris is the cause of something, which he usually was, but because Ferris was just so slick in his execution that he was really able to deceive everybody. The scene where they're calling the school to get Sloane out by saying that her grandmother oh, died, and Ed Rooney is, like, convinced that Ferris is behind this, and of course he is, but it's actually... Cameron, Cameron who's doing a voice on the phone and then they're playing off against each other where Ferris does call as himself to be like oh I'm just calling to let you know that I'm not feeling well and I'm not going to be at school today and seconds before this Ed Rooney is like yelling into the phone that he's going to catch Ferris and blah 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 and he suddenly believes that he's actually talking to Sloane's father and that he's been incredibly yeah, inappropriate. Yeah, who he just called like an asshole and all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah it's just like yeah, so your dead grandmother's bones or whatever. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh so yeah. good. Certificate or like her body. Oh my god. Yeah. Can you like? Can you imagine somebody in like good conscience asking anybody to do that just to excuse a student from school? Yeah. I feel like some of my management would uh, would ask me for a similar thing to get off work. So maybe it's not <laughs> as unreasonable as we think. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Mickey, are there any like particular scenes that really stood out to you in this movie? Um, honestly. Or that you recognized as being referenced in like something else? Well, I found it funny. I didn't know that Charlie Sheen was in this movie. Oh, <laughs> and so he just yeah. randomly shows up, just basically yeah. playing himself. Doesn't have a name. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's basically his whole career. Yeah. Just randomly showing up on other things. 
Yeah, it just kind of really I, surprised me because I didn't even know he did it. I felt bad because he, he was kind of cute, and I felt bad thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, he was young and looked yeah. terrible back then, so. Uh, I could see why Ferris's sister uh, ends up just, like, making out with him. Yeah, is that the girl from Dirty Dancing? Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. <laughs> see, I've watched movies, guys. <laughs> well, we had Dirty Dancing on the list for you. It was on the list for you, yeah. Ha <laughs> <laughs> It was, uh, I win. we had a lot of fun. I think you'd have ideas for what to make you watch for this. Yeah. Um, another thing about this movie is that I wasn't sure if it was randomly going to turn into a musical because there was like a couple scenes Yeah. where people would start singing. And I was like, is this a musical? Is this not a musical? <laughs> I just kept going back and forth until that float scene. And then, then I was like, okay, well, it's definitely a musical now. The float scene. So <laughs> me, I think you were with me that year, Leanne. I can't remember. So there was one year I was at Vancouver Pride, and there was an entire float, just like the Ferris Bueller float, except it was a drag king as Ferris Bueller performing Twist and Shout. Nice. It is Twist and Shout, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. It was the best thing I've ever seen at, at uh, a Pride Parade. It was, everyone was screaming. It was, like, very similar to the movie, where it's, like, everyone was so into it. Like, just that scene, it, it just builds to this insane point where, like, everyone in the city, basically, is out here yeah. screaming on the top of their lungs this song. Everyone's into it. And Ferris isn't even doing that much. Like, he's not singing. He's just lip-syncing. No, he just has that protagonist energy. Mike, But, like, his energy is so infectious. Yeah. And he, just, he just watching gonna work out. Cameron and Sloan watch him was so great. I like how there was numerous um, occasions where they, like, almost ran into his dad. And it was just... <laughs> Yeah. Like, there was no reason that that guy could be that obliv- oblivious, but he just was. It was amazing. Loved it. Yeah, both of his parents are definitely, like, in Ferris's pocket. Yeah. So, you know, they're definitely the kind of people who are kind of obsessed with their careers enough that they're not paying too much attention to what their kids are. But those very close encounters with his dad were very good. I don't really know what I would have expected the the outcome to be if Ferris was caught by his dad. I don't think that the repercussions would have been that serious necessarily. No. Yeah, he would have somehow talked his way out of it. Like, oh, I was just going to the hospital. (laughs) Got sidetracked. That never felt like a strong point of conflict for me. It wasn't like, oh my God, he's going to get caught by his dad. It was definitely more like the principal is going to like figure him out type of thing. Was I think the more... Well, I guess I'm more so the car. I was worried about this car oh, the entire the car. movie. It gave me so much stress. The second it popped in, I was like, oh, that car is going down. It's just, there's no yeah. way that's coming up. But it's like, I know how it ends, and I'm still stressed just watching them drive the car around. Like, maybe this time they'll crash it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if either of you noticed that the license plate on the Ferrari says nervous. It does? No. That's, that's amazing. amazing. Yes. N-R-V-O-U-S. So sort of right from the outset, we know that there's that relationship between Cameron, who's high, high anxiety, and specifically about the car as well being taken out. So I noticed that when I was watching it, and I'd never noticed that before, and it was just a I fun just like detail. I how they thought that it could drive the car backwards and the mileage would go down. <laughs> Is that how it works? I don't... I'm surprised that when they were doing that, that they didn't know that the... I don't know if it matters if the wheels aren't touching the ground, but like... I would assume that the odometer would yeah. continue to go up if you were just running it. Yeah, you think so. I wasn't sure if Ferris knew uh, that or if he was just lying or if he actually thought that would work. I think he actually thought it would work. But when they were looking at the odometer and they noticed that it wasn't going backwards, yeah. I would have assumed that the number up. would continue to go up. Yeah. 
I really loved that final scene with the car when, you know, Cameron is just wailing on the front fender and you've got the the jack at the back that's starting to bend and sort of the very anxious but cathartic moment where it goes flying back through. One thing that bothered me about that scene is once they realized that what they were doing wasn't working, they didn't just turn <laughs> they the just car left off. It. <laughs> Yeah. Because if they had just turned the car off and then Cameron started wailing on the, you know, the front fender to dent it, eventually when it fell off the the jack, it would have just landed safely on, you know, the garage floor. And it would have been, I mean, there would have been some additional damage, but it wouldn't have gone through the window. But that's not the point of the scene. And I know that. I don't know how I felt about that scene. It might actually... That might be something to bring up in the bad section. We'll see. I, I want to talk a lot about Cameron Ooh. specifically because I don't, I've always really had a lot of conflicting thoughts over how Cameron's portrayed in this movie. What's Cameron's deal as being like a big question? And maybe we could talk, I have a couple more good things I may want to talk about before we get into the whole Cameron thing because I think that's something we should talk about. Because he's definitely, it's yeah. definitely, there's some subtle things I think they're trying to do with Cameron as a character. As far as other things I wanted to point out, I really, really, really like how they use narration in this movie. Uh, I think it was one of the first movies I ever saw that were like, they just like flat out broke the fourth wall and just like narrated to the camera. And Ferris's narration throughout the movie yeah. is so I'm good. I'm like right at the front. And opening and closing with um, the same line. Life goes yeah. real fast and if you don't slow down. You yeah. And how it hits differently when he first says it versus how it hits differently when he says it at the end. And it just, like, really helps everything flow together in a movie that maybe necessarily doesn't have the most plot or at least not the most structure to it. Where having Ferris's narration really grounded the movie for me and made it flow really, really nicely. And Matthew Broderick is just so charismatic that his effortless turn to the camera was and, like, just speaking to us felt so natural yeah one of the other things that i really enjoy about this movie is the weird game of telephone that happens between like everybody in town it's not just like the students at school who you know like ferris because he's popular you know like at the police station near the end uh after genie's been picked up for allegedly making this false report you know as they're leaving the like the captain or whatever the detective says to mrs bueller oh you know tell ferris that we're all you know hoping that he gets better and she looks very confused but it's like at a number of places throughout the movie people that you wouldn't even expect like the the faculty at the school sends a bouquet of flowers to the house and um, ferris is talking to somebody and at the baseball yeah and at the baseball game but even like it's like save you <laughs> or something yeah and then like it says save ferris on like the water tower yeah. somewhere and like ferris tells some student while they're talking on the phone that he needs like a new kidney and so like some student at the school starts collecting money so that they can buy like literally buy ferris a new kidney for like what i think it was like fifty thousand dollars or something like that it's like so outlandish (laughs) the way that people were like invested in whether or not ferris was actually going to live or not it was just the students walking by just going if ferris dies he's giving the eyes to stevie wonder (laughs) so funny Yeah, that's why I felt so sorry for his sister. Yeah. She was like the only one who was like, how do you guys believe you guys this think kid? Of the sister? Like, I really, really like her. I liked her. I like that she has yeah. her own little mini arc in the movie. She's great. 
she was great, but like, I don't know if the movie, I don't know. I felt like at times that she was supposed to be kind of the annoying bratty one that we're not supposed to like as much, but I was constantly, like, I love her. She's great. Jeannie is 100% supposed to be the yeah. straight man in this movie. Like she knows that <laughs> Ferris is full of shit. She's tired of his antics. Uh, she's, just as much as, you know, the principal, she wants to prove that Ferris is faking it. And she, the only person who's like not really willing to accept any of these excuses, like when she gets home from school and she just like basically kicks the door of his bedroom in and sees, you know, that he's got the dummy in the bed and like the recording of him snoring and all of that. She's just like, yeah, of course. Like I knew this is exactly what was going on the whole time. And just everything about her approach is just like, yeah, Ferris, like he's, but I- yeah. With all the students that's I like how when she does meet Charlie Sheen's character in the police office and char- and uh, boy in police station basically confronts her about like <laughs> what is it really that's bugging you here? Is it that Ferris is getting away with it or is it that like you you're not the, you're one, not the doing one doing, doing like, what he's doing? And it's just that and it's like why why do you care so much about that? It's like, well he should be able to get away with it. Like how's that kind of affect you and and it kind of touched on how it often is like this like you see someone else succeeding or you see someone else doing well and you can't help but want to bring them down and that envy right and it's like and then in the end how she turns kind of a, a new leaf and like helps her brother get away with it it was really sweet i like that i like that she gets a little arc in there yeah especially since like when she calls the police to report that the principal is basically broken into their house as an intruder and then you know, she gets blamed for making a false report and he's still there when they get home. She kind of like gets to have her moment of victory when she refuses to, you know, acknowledge the fact that, yeah, Ferris skipped school and like, that's what you're here yeah. to prove. So he gets his comeuppance because she makes a a last second decision to corroborate Ferris's story rather than, you know, punish him. But no, I, I definitely appreciated like her real and valid righteous indignation about like her brother getting away with everything and her parents constantly believing his very clear charades. Yeah, I mean, I felt like, you know, I was more her in this movie because every time Ferris and company did things, I was like, how are they getting yeah. away with this shit? Like, that's not okay. <laughs> I mean, a good example of that is like when they are at the restaurant and they're trying to get in by pretending that there's that Ferris is somebody that he's not. And they do the whole thing on the <laughs> phone with the maitre d'. There's like clearly other people who are waiting to get into the restaurant for lunch. Who are <laughs> yeah, like, don't care. Not doing anything. Like everybody else who's not sort of part of the main cast, but is like a background character is so passive about all of this very weird, like subterfuge that's going on. Yeah, that's one of my main questions I want. He's the sausage <laughs> the king sausage of Chicago. It was so good. <laughs> don't you believe him? One of the main questions I wanted to kind of pose kind of go to this conversation was like, is Ferris actually a good friend? And like, is he? Oh, no, of course not. (laughs) Yeah. But like, does the movie want us to think he's he's a good friend? He's a sociopath, for sure. He is. I think he is. And I felt so (laughs) bad for Cameron. And the whole journey that he takes Cameron on is kind of, it's upsetting as someone who, like, I relate so much to Cameron I'm I'm not sure if it's just that like he's got depression. I I had this weird uh deja vu where I thought I this in this movie last time I saw it it was revealed that Cameron had attempted suicide earlier on in the movie and I think it's maybe hinted to but I don't think that's ever like a third act reveal or anything. But like he seemed like in a very not good place and then all the actions that Ferris seemed to be taking in this movie to me were like if I was in Cameron's place and I have been if a friend 
put me in this position where my dad might, I don't know, we don't know. For all we know, he would kick Cameron to the street for this. Like, he's endangering yeah. his house. He might literally murder Cameron. He might literally murder Cameron. He's putting him in great danger. All for this kind of what we assume at the end is this nice reveal where Cameron decides to get over his fear just like that and confront his dad. And we're supposed to smile and cheer and clap. And it's like, that's... I thought that left me a little unsettled. I'm not sure that's exactly. Yeah, it just kind of seemed like like Ferris was just like, I need my minion, so I'll help I need you my out. Third but, wheel. Yeah. Need the car to impress my girlfriend. Yeah, Cameron definitely comes across as being a tool for Ferris's use and amusement because he doesn't have a car of his own, so he needs Cameron to ferry him around. And you know, he's I'm not sure sort of what I want to say about him, but he definitely is. Yeah, he's definitely more of a tool than he is a friend. I think Ferris thinks that he's a good friend. He thinks that, you know, by getting Cameron out of, you know, bed and his sort of depressive state that he's doing him a service. And I don't know if that's partly because that's kind of how we thought about people who were suffering from depression back then. It was just like, you just needed to like get out and like be happy and like do have one real good day and it'll cure your depression. Yeah, basically. But (laughs) like, absolutely. It's the opposite. It's the opposite of the Joker thing. <laughs> <laughs> One bad day can turn anyone into the Joker. One good day can turn anyone into Ferris Bueller. Yeah. So I think he thinks that he's being a good friend, but obviously, like, coming at it from a distance in terms of time, like, he's clearly not a good friend. And like, and even, you know, at the time that the movie was made and released, like, Ferris does not respect Cameron's boundaries for anything about taking the car out, about going out in general, about like half a dozen things that they did while they were in Chicago proper. You know, Cameron was constantly, you know, protesting, doing this, that or the other. And part of that is because he's kind of a curmudgeon person, but at the same time, you know, Ferris doesn't take any real consideration for his friend's feelings. He's like, well, you know, I've basically fabricated this whole day for us to go out and do whatever, and we're going to do it whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah, like anything could have happened to that car. Oh, totally. And it did. Like, those people that just stole it and yeah. went for the joyride? Oh, my God. Yeah. And steal it. Like, he didn't know he was getting it back. back. I mean, they could have been <laughs> rear-ended in traffic. Like, it could have been something much yeah. less convoluted than what it actually was especially since they had a perfectly good car as well that they could have just taken on the whole adventure the garage thing is actually kind of funny because it's like driving into vancouver or something and going into like one of those underground places parking lots where you park your own car and just like seeing some random stranger who's maybe wearing a shirt with like their name on it and you assume that they work there and be like hey can you look after my car and they just fucking steal your car because you literally <laughs> gave your keys to a stranger yeah. like there's not really any way yeah. to know for sure that those guys worked for the garage that they were at it's like we kind of yeah. have to assume that the the way that the parking lot functioned was that somebody would park it for you but it really looked like an all-day lot that you would just park your own car and then come back for it. So it was very weird. And on the, the camera thing as well, I do think that there is to some degree validity in pushing your friends to places that they are afraid to go to. Because I know as someone who's suffered from extreme social anxieties and depressions and things that sometimes I do need a little bit of a push, not like a forceful push, but sometimes if someone kind of pulls you or drags you out when you didn't want to go out or introduces you to a new thing that you're afraid to do little little steps like that can really help someone who is so stuck in this dark place 
just having a good day like that. I know sometimes if I'm having a really bad day and don't want to go play D&D or something like that, just the act of being with my friends doing something like that can really help. And I saw like parts of that in this movie where seeing Cameron light up after being in such a dark place at times was really enjoyable to watch because I think Alan Ruck does a really good job playing Cameron in this and seeing the depths Uh of his emotion that he portrays in here and going from him laying in bed at the beginning was really great. Just like, I've definitely felt that seeing his room was like, yeah, that's a little scary accurate to to me sometimes. And then just seeing him light up when they're, he's like watching Ferris in the parade, things like that. So there's elements in there I liked for sure. Are there any other sort of specific scenes that we liked that we wanted to chat about? I mean, I thought that Sloane was perfect for Ferris. She was almost like a, a mini Ferris. Like she was almost going as hard as he was and was just kind of like going along for the ride. Completely opposite of Cameron. Kind of amazing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you could maybe view Cameron and Sloane as being sort of like the different representations of Ferris's personality. I don't want to like try and do some psychological reading of this movie or anything but you know you've got like sort of like <laughs> I mean, the more be, we don't know yeah i'm i just mean that i'm not the right person to do that but <laughs> you know you've got uh, we did bachelors taking lots of english courses where we had to do this let's do it for this movie <laughs> well then you've got <laughs> sloan as you know she's like this very easygoing but she's also like a very logical person you know yeah. she is able to go with the flow but also acknowledge like sort of when they're approaching a point that's uh, a bridge yeah. too far, so to she speak. She had more empathy than Ferris, for sure. Yeah, and then you've got Cameron, oh, who's, yeah. like, very frigid and uptight and sort of is afraid of the world at large. So if you blend the two of those people together, you probably would get, like, a, a good representation of who Ferris is as a person. I think a lot of Ferris's personality really is just bravado. So if we look at both of those characters with him out during the day, that's yeah, a good representation of his character. I think there's a little bit of fear about the future that is related to his antics. I wish we'd seen a little bit more of that. I guess that would be more like if it, moving on to like a nitpick or something. It's just that I wanted to see a little bit more of Ferris opening up in that way because we get a lot of hints that he's scared for next year for having to leave Sloan behind and Cameron behind and. Mm-hmm what's going to happen. And a lot of this is him putting on this big show, this big day to make all these memories that he's afraid he won't be able to make any more of. And I think that's all in there. And I probably don't want him to like, just look at the camera and sail that point blank. But, and we got more, more stuff like when Cameron's in the pool and like almost drowns or whatever, and they pull him out and like seeing some of Ferris's walls come down there was nice. And maybe just a little bit more of that to, round out his character so that he's not quite as sociopathic. Yeah, it was kind of like only at the beginning and only at the end. Yeah. Not really in the middle. Okay, well, let's move on to things that we didn't like about the movie, if anything. Uh, Mickey, what were some things that you maybe didn't like about this movie? Um, Honestly, I, like, I know how you guys said the, the sister, you know, she kind of grew out of not liking Ferris and she had, you know, Charlie Sheen, the psychiatrist, talk to her. But I felt like you know, it was a bit too soon for her to be like, okay, I'll forgive Ferris and I'll help him get into the house. But, like, if I was her, I would not do that. I'd just leave him to his own devices for sure. Yeah, maybe it would have been more interesting if she'd ended up there sooner and had more scenes talking to Charlie Sheen's character or just a little bit more of that arc going on where it's a more of a gradual progression there. Could yeah, good. she went from, like, 
hating Ferris to being like, I'll help you out. I think that last scene, though, it was really related more to like her interactions with the principal at the house where he'd broken in and then she had her like like I said earlier, you know, when the, the police didn't believe her because her brother had, you know, made so many, you know, prank reports. So it was more about giving him his comeuppance on the fact that he was like still there and she wasn't able to punish him the way that she wanted, then it was about Ferris himself. But I, like, I see where, okay, you, yeah, yeah, but I see, you know, where you're coming from. Yeah. And honestly, that's really the only thing like other than I, I kind of wish Ferris also kind of got his comeuppance because he just kind of pushed the envelope so much and still got away with it. <laughs> it's just like, no, someone at least see what he's doing. Please, not fair. Yeah. But yeah, that's me kind of embodying his sister again. (laughs) (laughs) My big thing is probably definitely the camera and angle at the end. Like, just the way it ends being framed a little too yay, we fixed Cameron. It gives me a lot of, like, the Disney princess problem where it's like you see them have their first kiss with the prince and it fades to black, but we never see what happens next. It's like if this movie was 30 minutes longer and Cameron's dad got home, it'd be a very different movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but we would never get to see that because the movie's about Ferris and not about Cameron. Is it? I think it's about Cameron. Yeah, secretly, it is about Cameron. I don't think it's about Ferris. Ferris doesn't have an arc. He doesn't grow or change. He's the narrator for Cameron's story? Is that bold statement? I don't know. No, I think that's reasonable to say. Cameron's the one that yeah, has the Cameron. whole arc and that's focused yeah. on, and and Ferris is there and he's grappling with things. He's and Sloane doesn't really have a personality. Kind of. No, not really. She kind of does. I like Sloane, yeah. but she <laughs> is almost like a yeah, chameleon like, taking like her, on like... everyone else around her's yeah. personality and kind of. It almost seems like she was written to just kind of be a good girlfriend for Ferris rather than her own person, maybe a little bit. I think what I mean is that, like, we probably wouldn't have seen it because the movie is told from Ferris's yeah. perspective. So he gets home and the day is over and anything that happens beyond that, we would never get an opportunity to see because he's the one who's telling the story for us. So, I mean, if this movie came from Cameron's perspective from the jump, it would be a very different movie entirely. Yeah. I would be I just... honest. I would be interested in watching it, though, now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, 100%. I really, really like Cameron. This is not an invitation for Hollywood to decide that they need to remake this movie from Cameron's perspective. Please do not do that. (laughs) They're going to do it anyways. They've run out of ideas. If they want to take a nuanced, fresh look at mental health issues in a constructive and helpful way that... Yeah, no, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. Of course not. No, they shouldn't (laughs) do it. That'd be terrible. No, it'll just be Riverdale. Oh, God, it would just be Riverdale. (laughs) He probably wouldn't have like the great like bowl cut bangs either, so that would be sad. Yeah, I liked it. And that's there. all we wanted. <laughs> yeah, like Mickey, I didn't really have anything that I didn't like about this movie, um, or that I thought was like objectively bad. Um, like it's for the most part fairly lighthearted, and um, it's just like a lot of fun. And you know, whether or not you identify with Ferris or you identify with the principal or his sister, sort of depends on where you're coming from in terms of life experience. But like it's a, it's a it's a very solid movie to watch, you know, after thirty plus years, and even after more than probably twelve years since the first time I saw it. So yeah, it definitely holds up for yeah. sure. Uh, just a couple of uh, quick things that I liked that I wanted to mention uh, when they first um, go to the garage to look at the Ferrari. No, sorry, that's the wrong scene. Uh, after the Ferrari has gone through the window, I loved like the slow 
perspective shot, like as Cameron walking towards to see what has happened to the car, just like the framing of that shot, the fact that it's coming directly from his perspective and like we're seeing Ferris and Sloan like watch and we don't know sort of like what his expression is as this is happening. It was just a very great shot. I loved it a lot. Um, I also really liked when yeah. Jeannie was calling the police. Um, she says, I'm very cute. I'm very alone. And I'm very protective of my body. It's just <laughs> a really great line that I made a note of that I liked a lot. I had some good lines. I had one line from the same scene uh, when she's uh, using, I think she uses the intercom to page downstairs to the house, right? She yeah. Goes, to to the intruder. I'd also like to add that I have my father's gun and a scorching case of herpes. <laughs> Great. There's some other good quotes I just wrote down. I like um, when Ferris is starting the parade and with the song he goes, I'd like to dedicate it to a man who doesn't think he's seen anything good today. To Cameron. That was cute. Cameron's line, I had a grandmother once. Two actually. Uh, Cameron's dry humor was great. Yeah, I think Jeannie worked at the, as a character really well just because Jennifer Grey did a lot with her. And that's, Yeah, if someone, yeah. I could see her coming off as much more shrill and whiny if it wasn't someone like her playing this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, she just is doing that like emo energy of just like the pouting. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. I want to really of this upset family. all the time. <laughs> also, we needed more grace in this movie. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Uh, oh, one of the yeah. other lines I had written down is when the principal goes, I don't trust this kid as far as I can throw him. And she goes, well, with your bad knee, you shouldn't throw anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, Grace was really a highlight. <sighs> Everything that great. character actress is in, she's so good. I love her. Um, also, we can't forget uh, the styling in this movie is to borrow one of Ferris's words in this movie is so choice like his jacket over that it's not a leopard print but it's kind of a leopard print like vest and that whole look and sloan's look and like everything everybody is like even cameron's jersey becomes like such a statement in this movie for some reason and Mm -hmm. like yeah Yeah, you just wear a jersey and you like have a halloween costume because everyone knows who it is Yeah, you just you have the Gordy Howe number on the back or whatever. It is Gordy Howe, right? Did I know that? Yeah. Is that a sports name I knew? <gasps> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. I knew a name. He's a Canadian hockey player. Do you know that? Oh, cool. But I know that we're, we're, we're not sports, sports people, so it's I'm not going to fault anybody for not knowing <laughs> that. Another random note I wrote down is that Matthew Broderick is super cute in this movie. Wow. Just shrug. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair. He's an attractive guy. Yeah. Mickey, have you seen any other uh, John Hughes movies by chance? Or is this your first John Hughes movie? No idea. As far as let's, like classic let's just 80s Google John this. Hughes, like Breakfast Club and 16 Pretty Candles. And Pretty and Pink Candles are like. You know, honestly, no. I don't think so. No, definitely not the kind of movies that I like seek out. I think you would probably like The Breakfast Club, which is about these four kids. Four oh yeah, yeah. Kids. like I'm pretty sure yeah. I've got all of the the references. Yeah, like I like I know all the movies because they're so pop culturally significant. He's a very I guess. significant director. Everyone seems to know. And right. Yeah, it's like they're always just mentioned in other movies. Yeah, even Almost something like Easy A, which I'm not sure you've seen, but um, there's still movies pretty recent that are so heavily drawing on the John Dean's aesthetic to this day. I mean, I've definitely watched 101 Dalmatians, the live action. <sighs> so <laughs> good. <laughs> so good. I mean, come on. Okay, well, Mickey, what would you give this on our ketchup scale? Perfect as is, so like, no ketchup required. 
could use a little bit of ketchup. There's like some places where it needs some holes filled. So put a little ketchup on it or douse it. Uh, it needs a lot of work. Honestly, I thought it was pretty perfect. Um, you don't need any ketchup for this one. Like there's only a few little tiny nitpicky things, but I think that just kind of made the movie better in some ways. So yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, I agree. It's a very solid movie that still holds up after all this time. I'm a very, yeah, I want to give it a perfect as is as well. I would say I'm tempted to knock it down to could use some ketchup just because some of the issues it skirts around with mental illness maybe didn't uh, hold up as well in 2020. Yeah, it was more but of the times. Yeah. It wasn't really, it's not like it was a after school special where it tried to like diagnose Cameron. He's just allowed to really be Cameron in this movie and we don't really have any sort of definitive answers about him so i think that made it hold up a lot better than it might have otherwise mm-hmm. so i think i would give this still a perfect as is hey you guys enjoy the show yes with the ethnic festivities to your liking today you guys are awesome really ready to share those trophies can we just beat these buffies down so i can go home i want coffee girl look there's no need for that oh you know what she's right so then we'd be doing him a favor so then they could feel good about sending Raggedy Ann up here to jack us for our cheers. Raggedy Ann? Ugly redhead with a video camera permanently attached to her hand. Y'all been coming up here for years trying to steal our routines. And we just love seeing them on ESPN. What are you talking about? Burr, it's cold in here. I said there must be some Toros in the atmosphere. I know you didn't think a white girl made that shit up. I feel... I, our free I, cheer service is over as of this moment. Over. Benito. Guys, like every time we get some, here y'all come trying to steal it, putting some blonde hair on it, and calling it something different. So for my pick this week, I picked Bring It On, a 2000 comedy directed by Peyton Reed. I did not know directed this, uh, who I only really knew for directing both the Ant-Man movies. So that's kind of weird and interesting range going from Marvel superheroes to Bring It On. People are complicated, Greg. Yeah, I guess they are. (laughs) You see a lot of directors stick to one thing, right? But uh, he's done a lot of interesting things. And it was uh, written by Jessica Bendinger, who also wrote the amazingly not good, but still amazing Aquamarine, which I love. So this cast includes Kirsten Dunst and Eliza Dushku as our co-leads with Jesse Bradford as the love interest and some other notable stars I wanted to mention, such as the wonderful Gabrielle Union as the scene-stealing Isis, and Claire Kramer, who a lot of people probably know better as Glory from Buffy. So this uh, movie has a 63% tomato meter and a 66% audience score. I was definitely not shocked at the critic score, but I kind of thought the audience score would be a lot higher. Just from personal experience, I feel like a lot of people just enjoyed this movie. So the tagline for this movie is one, two, three, cheer. Which is a little boring, but okay. Uh, so the plot for Bring It On has us follow the Rancho Carne High School's cheer squad, the Toros, as the former captain, Big Red, passes on the torch to Torrance, our plucky lead, who quickly finds herself needing to replace an injured team member. The best one for the job turns out to be Missy, a new girl from L.A. with a lot of attitude, but the skill to back it up. Missy then delivers them the unfortunate news that all their cheers they've been using from Big Red were in fact lifted from the East Compton Clovers, an inner inner city squad with a lot of talent without funds to actually make it to the championship themselves. This sends the Toros back to square one as the Clovers, for the first time, are attempting to make their way to the top spot, and the Toros need to figure out their own way there. So I picked this one for you, Mickey, because it was a staple of me growing up in the early 2000s, always playing on TV, super quotable. It was definitely like a proto-Mean Girls, uh, not too far before Mean Girls, but 
it was that very quotable movie on the playground stuff. I probably shouldn't have been quoting at a Christian high school, but oh well. <laughs> but with movies, even in the 2000s, like this was a pretty cheesy movie, probably by now firmly landed into kind of the campier territory. I was kind of wondering how it might hold up to a fresh viewing in 2020 from someone who didn't necessarily like grow up with this movie. So kind of overall, what were your thoughts of this? Uh... I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> but the uh, the ending song made me like it more. So, yeah. It's good music. It's got this. that going for it. Yeah. Well, it ends with my song. So, you know, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it made me like the, it uh, more. The Tony Basil's wonderful Mickey over the credits there is pretty great. I miss yeah. when movies did like it surprised me. fun credit montage stuff like that. Did you know anything about this movie before you watched it? Um, I knew that it was about, like, cheerleaders, and that was it. That's all I knew. <laughs> Love it. So it was pretty fresh eyes going into this one. So were there some things in this that you did really like? I liked Missy and her brother. They were, like, the best characters. Missy's great. Eliza Tishku yeah. is great in pretty much everything I see her in, but I definitely really like her as Missy in this. Yeah, she's great. She just shows up, like, all of them just takes it. She's just like, oh, I can do all of this stuff, and I'm better than you. Great. Yeah, the scene where they introduce her for the first time, and they're trying to, like, challenge her by doing this, like, intricate gymnastics routine type of thing, and they're all smiling, like, oh, she could never do this, and then she just does everything and lands, and... It's great. And we should also mention before we get too far into discussing this, that uh, last weekend was the 20th anniversary of the release of this movie. Oh, yeah. It was? Yeah. Yep. It's released on August 25th, 2000. Whew, long time ago. Yeah. I just I just remember watching uh, just everyone quoting this movie so much when I was in school. Just like people walking around going, these aren't spirit fingers. These are spirit fingers. <laughs> Uh, and just in the title there, I referenced it, uh, not the title, the, uh, our intro, I referenced the amazing line, Missy's the poo, so take a big whiff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was wondering about that intro, I was like, what is going on? Weird slang in this movie. <laughs> You're being a cheer tater. What about you, Leanne? What are your general thoughts on Bring It On? I love this movie. I've definitely seen it, like, a, a handful of times. You know, like you said, it's very quotable. It has a lot of, you know, very iconic scenes. It's kind of weird watching this movie since there's like a lot of like real cheerleading content out in the world that's like very popular. One thing that I noticed was yeah. like during all of their practices, like most of what they were doing was just like very basic choreography. But like just thinking of the Netflix uh, docuseries Cheer, like most of what you see is like very intense um, focus on like the actual floor routine stuff, which requires a lot of practice because there's lifting and it's very dangerous. Um, and that was like very absent from most of what was actually happening during their cheer practices, except for the scenes where they're actually at competition. So that was kind of like a weird disconnect just now that I have some frame of reference for like what cheer practices yeah. actually look like, especially competitive cheer uh, teams. This definitely brought on like a wave of cheerleading movies and some of the other ones I feel like do a lot better job of capturing the actual cheer routines. It was clear that like a lot of these girls weren't actually cheerleaders and were more cast for the acting potential. There's like four sequels to this movie. Yeah, when I looked to like I tried to look up this movie and I was looking at all of the options and I was like, which one am I supposed to watch? The second and third are really good. <laughs> <laughs> just bring it on <laughs> only that one but yeah they're all they're a lot 
One thing um, that I really liked when I was watching this is that, like, yes, Torrance is very cheer-minded, and I think that's, like, a very common thing for people who are on cheer teams, because just because it requires so much of your time and attention, uh, especially when you're really serious about it. But there's a scene where she's talking to her mom about, um, like, her course load, and she agrees to take another class, and it's, like, an AP chemistry lab or something like that. And it's very evident that, like, she's a very smart girl, and that she's, you know, got a bright future ahead of her. But unfortunately, we don't get to see a lot of that in terms of like what actually happens in the movie, since it's just related to this cheer drama. I've always been a fan of these kind of uh, like cheer movies or dance movies with this kind of like pretty formulaic plot where it's just like there's going to be some drama. There's going to be some new people joining the cast. We're going to go to our sectionals or quarterlies or whatever. And and we're probably almost just going to make it and like. Uh, or someone will get disqualified and we'll get in because of that. And like it and how it just like by the end, they they've made it and like just you can kind of go beat by beat in a lot of these movies. And I feel like this set a lot of those trends, maybe uh, some of the like even just recently watching uh, Netflix's dance movie that came out that I can't even remember the name Work of it, Work out. it out. It's essentially just this movie, but I think that included like yeah, a serious fingers kind of element to it as well. It did. Yes. Yeah. It's funny that that one thing is something that gets carried uh, through like other cheer or dance related movies is that weird non choreography. I love Spirit Fingers. It's great. (laughs) The whole scene with Sparky, I forget his last name, was really, really good. As this this choreographer, all his lines are so great. Why does everyone have to go on a diet? Because in cheerleading, we throw people in the air and fat people don't go as high. His name is Sparky Palastri. Sparky Palastri. Yes, thank you. Just like reading them all down the line, like you have weak ankles. She's just like, what? It's great. This movie definitely, uh, the campiness of it just seems to age like a fine wine to me. It's like, it's so dumb and over the top and the characters are all such farces down to like the boyfriend Aaron who's got this like creepy put on smile the stupid hair and the stupid baby voice he does and like all the characters are like that where they're just even Torrance they're like such caricatures and I just love movies that really lean into just being big and dumb and fun like this. Am I the only one who was expecting, even though I've seen this before, it's been a while, but am I the only one who was expecting the reveal to be that Torrance's boyfriend goes away to college and then he turns out to be I gay? Mean, I, I was oh, like, yeah. honestly surprised when that <laughs> yeah, wasn't the case. Was yeah, because he seemed to be ready to get out of there. I definitely thought that Torrance and Missy were just going to yeah. get together, but, you know, there's that too. They have a lot of good chemistry. I mean, this movie started strong. And, I don't know, Cliff is cute, I guess, but... I definitely got way more chemistry between Missy and Torrance than Cliff. I know that's been like a huge thing as the movie has been aging on and new fans find it and just like viewing it today. It's like a movie that came out today would have, I could easily have seen it going that way. I was, I really found that there was like a lot of chemistry between a lot of different characters. So there's certainly an opportunity for like, a bunch of different ships if that's what you wanted to do but i'm like definitely between torrance and missy no doubt you know missy's judgment of torrance potentially being into cliff could 100 percent be read as jealousy and not just like please don't date my brother weirdness yeah i also really loved 
kind of everything else about the initial um, cheer auditions prior to when Missy arrives. Like you've got one person there who completely misunderstood what the auditions were for and they were like there for something else. I think they were auditioning for theater or something like that. And then you've got the girl who's like doing the actions and like she's crying (laughs) and she's like, I'm sorry, I just broke up with my boyfriend. It's just like, it's just. Yeah. It's again one of those great tropes that we see time and time again, even in yeah, like pitch perfect. Uh, yeah, and, I was you know, that. the auditions in that. I feel like this is one of that the the first really good audition montages was like this movie. And there was that one girl who was the only one who actually looked the right age to be in high school. It's like the little sister of one of the cheer squad. Yeah, yeah. the little sister. I mean, she was adorable. Eight, I wrote down a few age things like Cliff. You're definitely thirty. Like yeah. you're not even like in your mid twenties or early twenties. Like. Yeah, it was Definitely only like 30. at the the cheering competition and like that one girl. That was like the only time there were people the right age. <laughs> Uh, I was reading something about this with respect to um, the 20th anniversary thing. Kristen Dunst and I think Eliza Dushku were actually like on the cusp of like the right age to be in high school. Like they could have been high school seniors at the time. But Gabrielle Union was like 27 when this movie was made. So it's definitely, you know, a sliding scale of age for the actors who are in this. But that was just like every movie. Yeah, she's Gabrielle, Gabrielle get, definitely gets the same treatment as our favorite uh, Buffy person that's in everything. Who's the one I'm thinking of, Leanne? The girl who's been playing a high schooler for 30 years that we love. Oh, Bianca Lawson? Bianca Lawson. Oh, God. That's not who I thought you were uh, referring to at first. Yes. Yeah. Bianca actors who are amazing and definitely deserve better but keep playing a lot of high similar roles. Forever. Yeah. I think Gabrielle Union has been getting some like really good meaty roles in her later career but definitely played she played like the the best friend sidekick in 10 things i hate about you so you know she's played her fair share of high schoolers for sure one of the other good things about this movie is the scene where they're at it's like their regionals or something like that and that's the first time that they find out that the routine that they're doing from sparky Pulastri has been done by another how many schools does it end up being? There's like, like four six. schools. Three, have, I think. Yeah, three or four schools that end up doing the same routine. And it's just like they do their, they're getting ready to do their routine. And you hear the and music. Hear and it's just like, oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. And, and then, it's such a cheesy song. And their whole routine that even choreographs is so cheesy. Oh, God, it's terrible. So that when they go out and do it next, oh, it's so funny. I love that the it, audience is like, didn't we just watch this routine? Yeah. I'm like, to be perfectly honest, like with cheer routines, there are a lot of elements that are going to be very similar anyway, yeah. because there are certain formations and movements that like you have to do anyway. But yeah, the same music it's, and like the same floor choreography the, is like it's the y'all ready for this one, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Can't, and yeah. The, like the stupid robot arms swinging at the end, where they're just like swinging their stupid little robot arms in that stilted position as everyone's just dead silent. Yeah, it was real awkward. What a commitment, though. Like, the big cheerleading smiles, knowing full well we're doing this coffee routine, and they're just going for it. <laughs> it's just the judges and the audience. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, you either do it and you commit to yeah. it, or you, like, yeah. forfeit your, your entry for that year, which is almost as bad, so. Oh, my God, the forced smiles throughout that whole movie. Just the whole time, they're just like, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy as I'm trying to flip through the air. <laughs> I can right. see why uh, uh, Kirsten Dunst was also in Drop Dead Gorgeous because, like, she's really good at playing this like overly peppy character. She does such a good job of it. As much as I love this movie, I have like a lot of 
really small nitpicks about it. I have a lot of problems with the movie, too, which... Uh, so is there any other specific good things we want to talk about? Maybe we'll get to the axes probably more to talk about there. Well, I know something that you probably found was good, Greg. They had that, uh, really good Diet Coke authorship in the middle of the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm just like, oh, that's the reason why Greg likes this. <laughs> Definitely. I guess one thing I like about the movie as well is Torrance finds out that her, these cheers that she's been doing for years and years and years have been, you know, stolen from another school and from like a school that's marginalized because of money and whatever, not because of talent. And she basically makes a vow to not do that anymore. And that she wants to be able to compete against the best. She does the thing she does with the check from her dad's job feels kind of weird. And like, I think the movie is aware that that's weird based on how that scene works itself out. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that Isis just like rips it up, she's like, you know, if we're going to go at all, we're going to go on our own merit and by our own means. But yeah, just the fact that she she's taking responsibility for the fact that she's been finding success on the shoulders of somebody else unknowingly and taking steps to, you know, make reparations, essentially. I really liked how that whole subplot went down a lot, especially seeing how other movies have tried to handle similar things and done so poorly with them that it was really interesting that even in 2000, this movie knew enough to try and throw in a white savior plotline where... Uh, Torrance tries to like lift up the Clovers using all her wealth and privilege and money and they just turn her down like we don't need your white knight savior moment right now we're gonna get there on our own merit and putting that in there I thought was really powerful yeah just because like that was such a that's a crazy thing like I'm even thinking like the help which came out what like 2012 or something scary like that and like even in this movie we're doing a better job than that yeah definitely made me feel for the green team I was like oh I want them to win so bad yes their plot was really, really strong in this. Uh, I get that it wasn't the focus of the movie. Yeah, like, they could have had their own movie. Yeah, I like that they win at the end. Spoiler oh, yeah, alert. Yeah, that, that made me happy. Uh, I was like, if they don't win, I'm going to be... Like, they're definitely better than this other team. And also, it, it it's good for two reasons. Because it's good because, obviously, they deserved it. But it's good because it shows that Torrance and her squad mates have learned that, number one, isn't the only thing that going there doing your best doing a routine that you did by yourselves that like you put work into an effort into and getting second is better than that like that's even the stupid cheesy line like second place how's it feel feels like first like it's a stupid cheesy line but yeah. i love it it's a cheesy movie so they're loud <laughs> yeah of course also of course the scene where the clovers show up at the football game and like they start yeah. doing the routine that's being done like beat for beat except with like you know the words that are appropriate for their own team mm-hmm. And just, like, the tension of that scene and, like, you know, you can feel how uncomfortable the cheer squad is as being publicly called out for that. I really like when one of the Clovers, uh, when Missy and Torrance head to their game for the first time, one of the Clovers goes, let's beat these Buffies. And Eliza just goes in Buffy and it's just, you know, <laughs> it's cute. And Claire is as well. Although I don't think Claire Kramer was in Buffy until way later than this movie came out. Cause she was in like season five. I guess I should say I like a lot of the supporting characters like Whitney and Courtney, the oh, bitchy yeah, cheerleaders, uh, Big Red. Uh, they all add a lot to this. Um, they're really fun side characters. Even the one cheerleader who breaks her leg. <laughs> She's just there at the beginning and like, the end. Uh, really <laughs> early on. Yeah. You know, everyone is saying it was your ambition that broke Carver's leg. Well, really, it was the angle at which she slammed into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I like the close-up, and she's like, I'm fine, and then it goes, like, outwards, and she's, yeah. like, in, like, a cast. I'll place. be your next game, guys, so it'll be fine. <laughs> I think that 
is like pretty realistic. Like I know watching cheer and I've watched, there's another similar series about a Canadian cheer team that I watched uh, also on Netflix. And um, like, that's a very common thing where like when you get injured, obviously not like a very visible, like your bones are poking out through your skin kind of way. But a lot of times, you know, when they get injured, you, you know, breathe through it and you take it, you know, a short rest. And then you're like, yeah, oh, it's fine. I can, I can do the thing because you know, having your spot on the team and being like on the floor is like such a big deal. So I think that lends an element of realism to this movie, maybe. Is there anything else we want to talk about? The good side, or we want to move on to some nitpicks? And I think we need to talk things. about nitpicks because there are many. Or some nitpicks. <laughs> There's an annoying absence of adults in this movie. Specifically, they would have a proper cheer coach or what some sort adults? of faculty yeah. advisor, especially. Yeah. If you're traveling across state lines or whatever, or in the state or whatever, to go to a competition, like there's liability that's involved in that. Like you don't just go. Uh, one of my other nitpicks is that while they're practicing in the gym, like they're not practicing on any mats or anything. It's just straight up the hard AF like gym floor, which is one of the reasons why like Carver's injury is so bad. It's like she lands fully on a fucking wood floor. Well, yeah, yeah, we're doing it on the grass. Like for the outside when that happened. Yeah. I think it was the, just the okay, grass yeah. side. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Like even when they're in the gym, like all the time, like they never have mats or anything. Like nothing to soften any falls of any kind. So injuries would be so much more pervasive yeah gym floors are yeah. very hard <laughs> from experience yeah absolutely <laughs> like i've not been seriously injured when i was in pe in high school but like definitely i have gotten hurt before one of my big nitpicks was when missy finds out they've been doing stolen cheers and torrance is confronting her about it and missy says get in my car we're gonna go to east compton and just drive there and you're not going to, like, you don't have a cell phone, so you're not going to tell anyone. You're just going to get in my car, and we're just going to drive for a very long time. It's nighttime. It's, like, the next day. Where did they stay? I just had a lot of questions about yeah, that. Yeah, we're driving 100 miles, which... Yeah, do your yeah, parents far? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 100 miles is pretty far. Do you far. know this girl very much? <laughs> we're Canadian, so we work in kilometers. I don't know how... I think that's probably, like... Yeah, it's like, it's like a round trip to and from Vancouver, I think, comparatively. Like, one way, though. So, like, it's pretty far. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, like, if you drove drove from, like, Abbotsford to Merritt or something. Oh, God. But I'm not, I've, I don't know if that's, like, a, a good equivalent, but I think that's pretty similar in terms of, like, time. Like, it's not, it's not a quick trip. Yeah. Well, you could see it got dark. Like, it was nighttime. <laughs> yeah. There's little things like that in this movie, for sure. But it's, like, a campy enough movie that, like, a lot of those little things, I was, like... They don't have the coach, like, whatever. Um, well, one of the other things, okay, so related to the coach is the fact that when they need to hire a choreographer, they look to Darcy to, like, finance this for them. And, like, they're a school team. Oh, yeah, like there should be some sort of, like, budget that they draw from for this kind of stuff. And if they had a fucking faculty advisor, that would be it. Like, <laughs> it wouldn't be a problem. It's like, it's so weird. Yeah, they're, like, like, they win all the time. So they would have like a lot of money. Yeah. They would have money from winning and they would have like a budget from like the school or they have to pay fees. If they've won that many national championships, even yeah, a high school team like have a sponsorships. Lot of money? And, yeah. Like six back yeah. challenge, challenges or championships. Like, they would definitely have, like, a good pool of money to draw from, which covers, like, their travel costs and all kinds of other stuff. And, like, their travel costs are never brought up as a problem for them. But, like, 
being able to pay this guy, like, what was it? It was like only a thousand dollars to them and give them this shitty routine was like, Oh, can you ask your dad for some money? It's like, you guys definitely have a pool of money to draw from and like having a faculty advisor or and a proper coach. I don't know. I mean, yeah, instead let's do this really gross car wash. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. I love yeah. a car wash. I mean, it's scene. awful that they would have ended up doing a car wash even if they had a coach or a faculty advisor anyway, because like that's a very normal thing that you do in a high school, maybe not in like bikinis or something. But, yeah. <laughs> but still, like, you know, as we said, they won six championships back to back to back to back to back. So, like, you get money when you do that. So they probably wouldn't need to do the car wash in the first place. Like, it's just so weird. And then to expect one person from your team, like one person of like eight people to finance the whole thing. Like, why can't everybody from the team pitch in a small amount of money if you have to do that, as opposed to expecting, you know, an individual to outsource it? I also got the sense they were from a very rich school and that they were all quite rich. Like, her parents had a giant house and they had good jobs. And like, you know, it wasn't just the one rich Yeah, I mean, like a lot of other sports, doing cheer is not inexpensive. So if you're doing it, like, you know, you're being sponsored or you've got a family that can afford to pay for you to do it. Yeah, and they all had cars that they didn't pay for, for sure. Yeah, and like that's one thing that bugs me a lot about these movies where, you know, it's very clear that the people who are going to the school are affluent, but then for whatever reason, like money is always brought up. It's like an issue when it very clearly should not be. Yeah. But when we were talking about like the Lizzie McGuire movie, I talked so much about how I was annoyed that there weren't like any parent chaperones that were on this trip and that, you know, what a liability it is to travel with students when you don't have the mm. proper people. I don't, I don't remember any flaws about the Lizzie McGuire movie. I'm pretty sure that was a hundred percent perfect. There was nothing wrong with it in, at all, but maybe, hmm, Okay. <laughs> Maybe we're not listening to the same episode. <laughs> Perfect movie. <laughs> but again, you know, it's like uh, such a common thing yeah. in high school movies where like for whatever reason these teenagers are allowed to travel without any oversight from anybody. And it's like if anybody if I'm, anybody got hurt or went missing or like anything while they were gone and they were wearing the school's logo and everything, like there's so much liability that's related to that. I don't think they fixed that in the other movies. I don't remember there being any adults helping in the second or third yeah. one. And I think if you had like a a coach or something, like they could have been suitably campy to fit into the to be no problem. Oh, yeah. They could be another version of Sparky Blastrick. Yeah, I was about to say, like they could just be another weird choreographer. I mean they could have been like overbearingly Big Red could have been a little older and she yeah. could have been the coach. And maybe they kicked Ooh, her to yeah, the that curb would have been good. And her like you still have own. a captain as somebody who, you know, rallies morale for the team and like, you know, acts as the the leader among the actual cheerleaders. But, like you also have somebody who has to like choreograph and watch everybody perform and like do all of this stuff. So this is none of this is stuff that I gave an iota of a thought to when I was a teenager watching this movie, but now it's an adult. It's just oh, like God, no. there is an absolute absence of adults and like oversight on this and it and that that's the kind of thing that's easy for me in a movie like this to to look over just because it's like i could suspend my disbelief pretty far for something like that in a insanely campy over the top that's why it's a nitpick right like it's not something that's gonna make or break the movie for me but it's just like you know what if you want to make this even like marginally realistic (laughs) like please put another adult in the room with them just for 
the sake of like saying that there's somebody who's responsible for them, even if they don't do a damn thing. Uh, one, <laughs> yeah. A couple of good things, I guess, that I missed as well, just kind of related to that. I do like, though, that their cheer squad, uh, the team they were cheering for at their high school was so bad and that they like never won a game and that there were still these jo- <laughs> like, these jock assholes throwing out all these homophobic slurs at the male cheerleaders, just being total dicks. And every time it's like, dude, you've yeah, never won a game. Like, what are you trying to be cocky about here? You're terrible. And that they fully just use games as practice because, like, nothing important's happening other than that. And that all the people come to their games just to watch <laughs> the cheerleaders. It was great. Apparently, at one point during the movie, after the football game, whoever's doing the announcing says, our next defeat will be on X date. <laughs> You know, a running joke slash acknowledgement that the football team is absolutely garbage. I mean, I wouldn't know. That's a sport. Um, you don't see that. Not familiar. <laughs> but I mean, you know what? There are football teams that really are just absolutely terrible. Yeah, yeah. fair. Another nitpick. Another nitpick I kind of had. I don't know if I put it under the bad or nitpick. I guess I would have just liked to see a little bit more character for Le- yeah. Les. Les, right? The gay cheerleader. It was nice that we had one in here. And male cheerleaders in general, it was nice to see, like, male cheerleaders in this movie. You know, that's part of cheerleading. But I kind of wanted him to get a little bit more either plot or even character development. Because so often these things around this time period, I'm specifically thinking of, oh, God, nope, I don't remember it. A UK TV show that I can't remember the name of. But the gay characters of this time were so much just, your characteristic is that you're gay. You don't have other character traits. It's just like you're nice and you're gay and that's it. Like you don't get to do anything else. You don't even really get to be in a relationship or you don't have conflict. It's just like you're just there and you're nice. I like that. Um, like a little moment really with to... another male cheerleader. Had. Yeah, it was cute. I think it would have been nice to, he's just so non-threatening and just nice and there and Everyone else had like these kind of extreme personalities. Yeah, I just agree. A lot more going for them, and it would have been interesting, even if maybe he was really, really nerdy (laughs) and gay. Like he could be more than one thing. High school musical taught me that the one trait he was given. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. High school musical taught us a lot of things that are incorrect. Apparently, I just find around this time period, all those, a lot of these characters get that same treatment, where they, that's their one trait they're given, and I feel like that's. Not necessarily a character trait. You can give a character and yeah, have them that, yeah, that was be a bit interesting. Much. But they're only the two guys. <laughs> and maybe while we're at it, we can yeah, let Jan. Talk. Well, I mean, if we're going to talk about Jan. <laughs> that didn't age so well. Yeah. yeah. If we're yeah. going to talk about section, Jan. Yeah. That's not a nitpick. Oh, yeah, definitely. Let's talk about it. That was, that was gross. So you have the nice gay one and then the gross kind of abuser guy yeah i forgot that he like at one point just like doesn't he just like yeah. finger that girl like in the middle of a competition yeah and it's yeah that didn't age well no. yeah. so i'm sure most people like have maybe seen this movie but jan talks about how he likes that one of the cheerleaders like doesn't wear underwear under like her cheer short and like sometimes if she slips his fingers go places and he's like really pervy about it and it's very gross and i mean i kind of get the indication like there's something going on between those characters but also like the fact that it happens yeah like in the middle of a football game all is like really brings in a lot of weird like concerning consent issues it wasn't like she purposely does this as like a weird yeah 
kinky thing they're into where they're dating and she doesn't wear underwear and like she's kind of like wink yeah. wink nudge nudge about her or anything it's very much like just it's weird and you do get the sense that maybe they're they were dating or something i don't know but i don't know yeah i mean like you definitely get a sense of something between them but like if you're not like in a situation where everybody involved is like able to you know talk about it and consent and like you're doing it uh, unwittingly in front of like a group yeah. of people oh yeah like it feels very icky yeah uh on a similar ish note the thing that didn't age well for me in this uh is the language and the weird use of homophobic slurs in this movie and i mean it starts out strong of, for that as well yeah just like the uh, cheering at the, the beginning just, you're like, oh, okay, wow. I don't know if this movie's for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I have to admit, I kind of love the cheering at the beginning. It definitely sets the tone for the movie. Very much. The whole so. cheer at the beginning. I'm bitching. Great hair. The boys all love to stare. I want it. I'm hot. I'm everything you're not. I'm pretty. I'm cool. I'm yeah. I score. <laughs> uh, I've got it down here. I don't. I do not have that currently memorized. What? Come on, Greg. You've let me down. It definitely sets you up that this is like a raunchy teen comedy. But then they they throw out things like pretty early on when some of the cheerleaders go like, Missy looks like an uber dyke. And there's just like a lot of homophobic slurs thrown around that, for the most part, based on the time this is set at and based on who's saying them, it's definitely trying to make those people look bad. It's not like generally our heroes are saying these things. It's like the people that we're not supposed to like are throwing around homo slurs because they're assholes. Yeah. And to a degree, I get that. But then there's the really weird scene where they're all in the car and uh, Missy is trying to figure out more about all her cheer squad mates now. And oh, yeah, and their asks, relationships with each other. Yeah, and she's asking about uh, Jan and Les, and I think I had it down here. Can never find it. Oh, yeah, she asked, like, oh, are Courtney and Whitney, like, delicious? <laughs> okay, that's a weird word. Whoa. And uh, and Les says, uh, Jan's straight, well, I'm controversial. And he goes, are you trying to tell me you speak fag? Oh, fluently. And it's just, like, really weird how it's... I get the sense that, like, Missy saying these things, we're supposed to really like yeah. throwing out uh, uh, words like that. She's supposed to be doing them in some sort of, like, hip, reclaiming language type way way too early. And before that was a thing that we were using those words as. And, yep. And because she's, like, a straight female character, it was really uncomfortable. Yep. And it's treated, like, very often. And off-hand. the gay guy didn't seem to mind at all, which was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's okay. And if he was the one that said it, that would be different, obviously. Yeah. But because she's the one that says that it comes off very weird. And so a lot of the other times words like that were used in this movie, I could definitely be like, okay, it's the villain saying this. It's a product of the time this movie was made because it would be almost weird if these jocks weren't hurling those insults just because, like, that's exactly how my experience was like. And that's pretty normal. And you kind of that's a good, fast way to make a character into a villain is to have them use language like that. Yeah. But then for the same language to be used by our main character was weird. Yeah, I thought that too. It was like, you shouldn't be using that language if we're supposed to like you. It seemed like an early attempt at reclaiming it, but like it wasn't her words to reclaim anyways. It was also maybe a weird way to try and make her seem like more like an inner city LA person. I felt like there was some things they did to like make her seem like the outsider LA girl. Just like some of the I mean, language she had she piercings, uses. that was enough. <laughs> yeah. Cool. 
she's different and rebellious, so we wear black. Yeah, I mean, I, I love her look. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's great. I love during her first year of practice when they're like, no tattoos, and she just, like, takes her middle finger, wets it, and rubs it off because it's just, like, sharp. He's like, I was bored. Yes. <laughs> I can relate to that because uh, I remember when I was in grade 10, in math, there was a guy that I sat next to, and he used to like get me to draw on his arm all the time during class. I didn't do very well in that class, but not related to that particular person. But yeah, drawing on yourself in class when you're bored is not an unusual thing by any means. Being able to draw like an armband. I mean, that's impressive. It was pretty though. straight. Yeah, that's talented. Yeah, I don't have that talent. <laughs> So, Mickey, you said uh, that there was a lot of things that you didn't love in this movie. What are some of your general uh, concerns with the movie? Why you didn't kind of gel with it as much? I don't know. It's just it wasn't my kind of movie. Like, I wouldn't say it's objectively bad. Yeah. It's just not something I would watch. Like, those kind of people, I just didn't really know them in high school. I just kind of avoided them. So, I didn't really, like, I don't know who they are. Like, are they real yeah. people? Do people actually act like that? I don't think so. Who has that kind of energy to begin but with? also, I think it's, I think, <laughs> and maybe Mean Girls pulls this off better. I kind of want to relate it back to that a little bit, because I know I made you watch that recently. Yeah, but yeah, I prefer Mean, mean Girls. Girls like, none of those over. are real people, but they're caricatures with aspects of them that are based in real people. And I feel like this movie were, was the caricature bit, but maybe not as much of the real person was left in there to relate back to, whereas all the characters in Mean Girls are very much Yeah, I found it difficult to relate to this that one. are amplified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely harder for me to relate. Like, I, I started to like the movie once they actually got to the competition, because then I was like, oh, flips yeah. are cool. <laughs> I can deal with this. This is nice. And then it was just, you know, good-natured everything. But before that, I was just like, why are there so many conflicts? What even are these conflicts? Nothing going on. Yeah, that's the common thing in, like, high school movies. It's like the conflicts are usually... Yeah fairly flimsy like oh you hugged that one guy i don't like you anymore oh no at the same time i think like you know relationships in high school like friendship and otherwise can be very mercurial you know they can change at the drop yeah. of a hat a very small slight in high school is a big deal and then you look back on it as a as an adult and you're like wow that was a stupid thing we could have just like talked about it and moved on but when you're dealing with kind of all your emotions all the time at once when you're 16 or 17 or whatever, somebody doing one thing, it's like, it's, you know, a, a mountainous event really can re derail everything. But yeah, like these types of movies are certainly not for everybody. And I always, I always group this movie in with like the Heathers, Mean Girls, uh, Clueless and Legally Blonde, which is maybe a little more distant, but like, those are all the movies I kind of lump into this like campy early 2000s to you know, some of them are before. Yeah. You know, in that kind of mm, space that I really like to be in. Um, I know I've shown you a few of those, like we've done I think clueless and mean girls and legally blonde. And legally blonde. Yeah. <laughs> we like watch them like almost back yeah. to back. <laughs> so this one, See, compared I think to that's why I like them. It's because they were like comedy based. Yeah. Like this one wasn't as much of a comedy as the other ones. And so I didn't like it as much, I guess. Yeah. No, that's fair. I think this is definitely probably more in the campy side of things than like the comedy side of things. Whereas it's, yeah. it's very farcical and and cheesy whereas a lot of the movies are really smart about their humor a lot of the humor in this is just kind of dumb or like just quippy one-liners and things mm -hmm. although there's some amazing quippy one-liners <laughs> 
Another thing I had down here is that I really wish that uh, Missy had kept more of her edge from early in the movie instead of so fully. Yeah, just she just kind of like be- became a Yeah, shoemaker. she just became indistinguishable from the others. She just became one of yeah. them. And I really liked all that edge she came in with and wish that they could have done more of a meeting in the middle thing and that maybe she'd help them incorporate some of her gymnastics and things like that into their choreo in the end. And like, that was a big element in it or something. And maybe she like changes yeah. up the uniform just slightly, you know, little things like put that. Put some black in yeah. it. <laughs> Everyone now wears uh, eyeliner. I do really like the scene though, where she comes out in the uniform for the first time on her front doorstep when they pull up in the car and she does her stupid little dance and it's like Eliza's so charismatic and just like sells it. And she's so cute. Yeah, way better dancing than I could ever do ever. <laughs> just in that like three seconds. <laughs> she really looks so natural doing this. Like she's great. Yeah. Do you know if she did her own stunts or if that was like someone? Else? I seriously doubt any of them did their own stunts. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping that, like, some of them would be, like, proper. Yeah. I mean, at least, unlike Buffy, I didn't notice, like, a five-foot-five man in a blonde wig tumbling. So, <laughs> there's that. Well, at least that's enough. It got good double. I don't think it's actually a five-foot-five man in a wig in Buffy, but, like, it's very clearly a stunt double in so much of Buffy. And Like, someone just ducks yeah. down, and then some flips happen, uh, and then they just pop back up. I only said that because yep. Eliza's in Buffy, and it made me uh, think of that. Apparently, all of the actors who were playing cheerleaders had to go to like a boot camp but yeah i agree that they probably were not doing their own stunts because like yeah there's a lot less flips yeah like a lot of the floor work that you do requires a lot of practice to like to do safely Mm -hmm. i mean it's dangerous yeah cheerleading is a dangerous sport for sure they they flip like so high in the air somehow i don't know how they do it looks cool but damn I think it's kind of telling that we haven't really talked at all about, like, Cliff or Aaron or the guys so much in this. I kind of feel like Cliff is somewhat... I liked Cliff. I mean, I hated his name. Yeah. I like him as a character, maybe not as a love interest. Like, he was fun. I like him as a character, but... Maybe it's because he didn't really get to do anything. I like that he wrote the song. That was that was really cute. Torrance and Cliff only have, like, a couple of, like, yeah. actual in-person interactions. They have a lot of chemistry. I'll give them that. But then, like, yeah. also their other on-screen things was when, like, Torrance is doing a routine and he's sitting in the yeah. audience and he's just kind yeah, of... Yeah, they just look at each other. Part of the audience. <laughs> yeah. You get more with Aaron, basically. I think he does a really good job of playing yeah. the... the- just terrible, horrible boyfriend, and like the evil Kendall. Yeah, the evil Kendall. He does such a good job at it. Like with his Barbie car. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> so funny. <laughs> he literally has the Barbie like Jeep thing. His like weird baby talk to Torrance is like so uncomfortable, and like, I know that you're not capable of being captain. Yeah. We know that. <laughs> Don't we know that? God, what an unsupportive asshole, yeah. though. Like, here she is freaking out about this, and instead of encouraging her, he's just like, well, maybe you should just yeah. quit. <laughs> yeah. I like that wow. she goes back and throws uh, his words in uh, his face after and goes, you're a great cheerleader, Aaron, and you're cute as hell, but maybe you're just not boyfriend material. <laughs> great. Yeah. We love a callback. Yeah. So, Mickey, what would you give this movie on our scale? Is this could use more ketchup? Do you have to completely douse this one? Or is this perfect as is? Well, I mean, okay, it definitely didn't age the best. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'd say it needs a little bit of ketchup. 
I think it does. I mean, it's not my kind of movie, but, you know, I wouldn't say it needs to be doubt. I would agree, I think. As much of a place as this holds in my heart, it's not perfect as is. <laughs> not, not, it didn't hold up as well as some <laughs> of the other things we watched on this podcast. I would definitely have to put a bit of ketchup on this and fix a few of those mistakes. Yeah, it's definitely I could use ketchup. I would even almost put it, like, on the low end towards a douset, even yeah. though it's a movie that I'm enjoy now bring it on three with hayden Panettiere. on the other hand <laughs> that's perfect as it is sorry it might come as a surprise i haven't seen it <laughs> like i said uh, you just haven't seen any of the good movies well mickey thank you so much for being on this episode of the podcast with us it was wonderful having you i am so glad that we it could get you to watch fun. a couple more of these wonderful classics whether you loved them or didn't you have learned and grown as a person through watching them hopefully <laughs> and i'll understand more of your references yes that is the main they thing they won't fly by me yeah <laughs> yeah that's fun i hope you got something out of the movies even if you didn't necessarily like both of them no they, they were good they were good i mean well compares <laughs> me that was good <laughs> Well, that's it for us this episode. Uh, join us again next time when we catch up on more movies with each other. For updates on future episodes and other news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and Letterboxd at Movie Catch Up Pod.